This is a presentation of BSRN, Box Studios Radio Network. Hi, this is Don Biggs from the 92-93 Binghamton Rangers. Hi, this is Brandon Butchins. This is Grady Wittenberg, the voice of the Binghamton Senators, and you're listening to the Power Play Post Show. Hi, I'm Corey Cowick, left wing for the Binghamton Senators, and you're listening to Bob Howard on the Power Play Post Show. And welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Power Play Post Show. This is the show for May 16th, 2023. And I think I have a pretty good show lined up for you. A great interview coming up in just a couple minutes with Brant Sherwood. He is the head coach of the Binghamton Black Bears. And we talk about this season, about him getting the job, a little bit about his childhood growing up in Rochester, New York, and uh, everything that happened pretty much in between that right there, and including a lot of stuff about the Binghamton Black Bears season. Uh, but there's a few things I wanted to uh, bring up and talk about uh, and everything. Obviously, as everybody probably knows who's listening to the show, the Danbury Hattricks have won the Commissioner uh, Cup. Uh, they uh, beat the Carolina Thunderbirds uh, three games to two in a five-game series. I'm very happy that FPHL did a five-game series for this. Uh, I think it was very important. Otherwise, it would have been over probably – you know, in the first couple games, the way Danbury played in the first two games compared to the way they played in the last three games. But you never know. They might have made the changes in a three-game series. Either way, Danbury was the best team all season long. Um, they had their issues with some, you know, maybe some uh, not-so-great uh, plays by certain players like Daniel Ansbury, as we know. But you know what? He's the champion right now, and the rest of us are not. So you have to look at it that way as well. But the Danbury Hattricks, they win the Commissioner's Cup uh, three games to two over the Carolina Thunderbirds. Congratulations, obviously, to the Hattricks and to everybody involved in that organization. I know uh, it's one of the hardest places to go and play in. But, uh, you know, they they came back and won those three games in Danbury. Uh, they have a very passionate fan base, regardless of what you think of them, one way or the other. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up was uh, to talk a little bit about uh, the makeup of next year's uh, t- uh, season a little bit, uh, because uh, the Delaware Thunder are obviously going to shut down operations for a couple of years until they build a new arena, and uh, we've got two new teams coming in, one in Virginia, one in Baton Rouge, likely going to be in the Continental Division. But then some news kind of broke um, today, um, and I think you know when you look at both sides of the story, there is definitely what you would call your traditional um, lease agreement negotiations not going as well as probably thought uh, that they do they would be. It's essentially, what came out was uh, the uh, MyTwinTears dot com, which I think is W E T M out of Elmira basically reported that the organization, uh, which is the Shimung County Industrial Development Agency, uh, said that they were working to end their lease with Mammoth Sports and Entertainment, which is the Steve Donner 
organization. And uh, so they came out and basically said that because of maybe some unpaid bills and I guess something that has to do with some HVAC that needed to be fixed, uh, that there was a likely chance that they were going to try to end that. Uh, Steve Donner has also come out and made this statement. He said, I am disappointed in the aggressive action by the Chemung County uh, today, especially with me traveling out of town for the FPHL meetings, which are tomorrow. Uh, this is a lease dispute that has that is a two-sided argument. We believe that the county has significantly liability according to the lease and their long-term maintenance and neglect, specifically regarding to major HVAC responsibilities that they have not corrected. It is our intention to work through the issues on both sides to resolve this and to continue our business at the arena. So, obviously, he's coming out and saying that you know, there's some obviously dispute about the HVAC, and uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, let's not jump to any conclusions. Uh, hopefully, the Elmira Mammoth will still play next season. Uh, but Steve Donner and, of course, Shimon County have some work to do. So that came out a little bit as well. However, let's just say, for instance, it doesn't work out in Elmira, and Elmira's not there. You're back to a 10 team league like you were this year. And you can really do truly a north and a south type of thing. Danbury, Binghamton, Watertown with Port Huron and Motor City in a northern division. And then the southern division, of course, would be Columbus, Carolina, uh, the Virginia team, Mississippi, and, of course, Baton Rouge. So kind of makes that a little bit of an easy decision. But we'll see what happens, and hopefully they can work it out, and Elmira will still be there, and we'll have an 11-team uh, league next year, which I still think they should probably do the same divisions, but put Elmira in that North Division, Empire Division, whatever you want to call it uh, for next year. Uh, but those are a couple notes that I just wanted to bring up for everybody. I'm very excited about having uh, Brant Sherwood on. We talked about a lot of things, folks, and uh, we even talked about Nikita Ivashkin, right? You know, uh, we didn't talk about necessarily specifically the thing that happened, but about his future. And I think it's uh, very important. We talk a little bit about everything that has to do with the Black Bears. I tried to cover as much as I could. This is a 45-minute interview with Coach Sherwood. He really graced us with a lot of time today. I talked to him off air for about 20 maybe 25, almost 30 minutes as well. Got to know the man a little bit. And uh, I really do think that he's going to do good things in hockey. He's learning as a head coach, just like, and then this is something that I think fans and everybody has to realize. When you're first starting out as a head coach, you make mistakes. You do things. You learn. We talk about him learning to uh, about, you know, in this 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 league and this division of hockey, this level of hockey, you learn and then you grow. I think Brant Sherwood could move up. He's, you know, coaches have moved up from the FPHL and made it um, as high as the American Hockey League. I think Sherwood has that ability. He's young enough, and if he sticks around and picks his spots perfectly, I think that he can move on. And I like his mentality. When, when I talked to him, he talked a little bit about team and being a five-man team when you're on the ice at all times. So I thought that was very interesting. Either way, it's a good interview. I hope you guys really enjoy it. I hope to have something uh, coming up in a couple weeks as well. Um, I will be on vacation next week, so there's going to be no show next week. So this is it for a couple weeks here on the Power Play Post Show. I'll keep posting some of the old interviews. And we still have another three or four days of 
uh, coaches interviews that I'm going to bring up. This has been the week of coaches. I've already put up a few coaches interviews for people to listen to. Please go back and listen to them. Um, the, the one I posted yesterday was Ken Jernander, who played with the Binghamton Rangers and then became an assistant coach with the Hartford Wolfpack after he retired. He is a long-term captain for both the Rangers and, of course, the Wolfpack in the American Hockey League. And just a great interview, just like another good interview that uh, you're going to get to listen to here in just a few seconds. So, um, you know, stay tuned for any news coming up over the summer. We'll uh, try to bring things your way and give you my opinion on it as we do that. We have a couple other things also thought about and planned out that we want to do and bring the Power Play Post show, not just to the Federal Prospect Hockey League fans, but also to minor league hockey fans throughout there and even maybe some collegiate information as well, or interviews. So um, coming up next here on the Power Play Post Show, I'm really excited to have him on. I hope you guys enjoy this interview. And remember, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, just you know, subscribe and listen. And I appreciate everybody who has listened so far. Uh, coming up next here on the Power Play Post Show is head coach of the Binghamton Black Bears. He's Brant Sherwood. We'll be right back right after this, right here on the Power Play Post Show. Hi, this is Don Biggs from the 92-93 Binghamton Rangers. Here's Don Biggs taking a slash and following through. He's hauled down. Now we have Don Biggs having a fisticuffs with Possum. And you're listening to the Power Play Post Show. And welcome back, everybody, to the Power Play Post Show. Uh, I am very happy to have this guest on with me. Uh, He just completed his first season as a head coach. I mean, he was interim head coach, but we can throw that uh, part away and just call him the head coach of the Binghamton Black Bears. Uh, he is Brent Sherwood. Uh, Brent, thank you very much for coming on the show. We, re- I really appreciate uh, being able to talk with you. I just, you know, I got a nice 20 minutes with you before we started recording, and it's just a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Bob. I appreciate it as well, and I uh, can't wait to get chatting here. All right, perfect. Hey, so listen, you uh, grew up in Rochester, New York, and of course, uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, what people don't realize outside of New York is, is how hockey-rich New York State is, from Buffalo to Rochester to Syracuse, Utica, Binghamton, even Elmira, with the, the, the 20 or so years that Elmira's had hockey as well. Can you talk to me a little bit about growing up in Rochester and, and getting into hockey? Was it, was it something automatic? Did you play a lot of different sports and then hockey just became the thing? Talk to me a little bit about childhood uh, growing up and uh, starting to play hockey. Well, my dad was a big baseball player, so he got me into t-ball at first. And uh, I found that a little boring. I was a very active kid. And, um, yeah, it was automatic uh, being from Rochester, New York. And um, my sister was a figure skater, and she's five years older than me. I saw her on the ice at Lakeshore Ice Arena and uh, cried to my parents, begged to get out there. And sooner or later, I was out there like a week or so later. Um putting around uh, the cart or uh, the ladder or whatever. But, um, yeah, it was uh, it's kind of embedded in you. And growing up watching the Rochester Americans, you get a lot of coaches that uh, played for them, and then they stick around the area, and then they pass on uh, their history, their knowledge of the game. So, uh, yeah, it was, um, it, was, it was awesome growing up there, and we had a really good youth team. Made it to nationals a couple of years, uh, came in second, third, and uh, yeah, we, we had a great group and uh, still friends 
to this day with a, a lot of my teammates from that uh, from that time. Now, of course, you were part of the Syracuse Stars and the Rochester Stars, which is a, a junior club. Obviously, um, you know, in, in both of those cities and everything. Talk a little bit about, because I think Syracuse Stars is, is no longer, I'm not sure if Rochester Stars are still uh, a team up there and everything, but talk a little bit about playing hockey junior-wise kind of like for those two teams and how that helped your development before you started to get into more of the, the collegiate hockey. So um, I ended up going to boarding school and uh, growing up in Rochester, it's, it's such a hockey hotbed. You think you could just stay there. Well, at that time, it was like when you turned uh, like 16, 17 years old, it was like, oh, you got to go to Canada. You got to play juniors there. <laughs> or you got to uh, you got to go to prep school and head out to New England. So I headed out to New England, played at uh, Northfield Mount Hermon, finished up there. And then uh, I went on to play for the Syracuse Stars with uh, Scott Montagna and Don Kernan was our owner. But um, I I wasn't uh, like a top line, wasn't on the top line. I was like third, fourth liner. And we had about like 12 D1 commitments, and I learned so much that year. I learned a lot from Scott, but also Don, the commissioner of the Federal Hockey League. He, uh, he had so much knowledge of the game especially when it comes to shooting and uh, puck placement, um, even, like, the craftiness that comes with your stick of picking up pucks off walls, puck protection, all that stuff. So it was a really uh, good development year for me, and I learned a lot from the coaches. I learned a lot from, like, the older players on the team, and then eventually I went out to Alberta and played out there for – uh, legendary coach and Fran Gao. So, um, yeah, those were – I was a bit of a late bloomer, but um, those years were so important and crucial of uh, just learning some new things with the game as far as skill work and then uh, the team aspect as well. You know, uh, a lot of the players, you know, and a lot of the uh, the fans would probably recognize that the, the, a lot of the players – on the Binghamton Black Bears this year were from the SUNYAC system. And, of course, you played two seasons uh, with SUNY Cortland and whatnot. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's good competitive hockey there, and there are some players that have moved on and played professional hockey um, elsewhere. And you guys seem to really tap into SUNYAC this season and everything with all the different, uh, you know, the teams and everything. Talk about your time playing for SUNY Cortland and, you know, how that helped your development as well. Well, you just can't take a night off in uh, SUNY hockey. So you could be on Fredonia playing Plattsburgh, and Fredonia could win that game. But you could also you could have a, a pretty bad uh, matchup and get uh, pumped by Oswego. Um, but at the same time, you're you're competing every night, and right when you go into uh, is it it's winterum and. Um, the standings are you usually at Plattsburgh and Oswego at the top of the standings, but even the third and fourth place teams sometimes they'll end up sixth or seventh by the end of the year. So I just think the competitiveness um, from the Tuniac is so huge, and I think it trans- transitions over to pro very well. You got a lot of guys that were coached very well and developed great habits and had to compete for a spot. Every single night, even in game day skates, like pregame uh, skates, like guys are battling before the game that night when usually at the pro level you're, you're kind of taking it a little easy. You're just getting your legs going. But um, they got close to 26, 27 guys on the roster. 
and there's a pecking order and you got to beat out some upperclassmen and you got some new talent coming in, some D1 transfers. So um, I, I really like the competitive environment that the Suniac brings and I try to pull as many players from there. And it's funny because when I was playing in Memphis, like I would just preach SUNY. Oh, that's a SUNY shot. And it kind of became a thing of like, being a little SUNY biased, and uh, it, it creates a connection in the locker room. I'm, I'm pretty close with Tyson Kirkby, Mac Lewis, Gavin Yates, uh, Logar, um, even Samaril coming from uh, Morrisville, and Jesse Anderson. And mm-hmm. I, I really migrate to those guys because they're they're super respectful. They're good human beings off the ice, and then they, simply they just work their tails off. No questions asked, even if they're upset about something. They put on their work boots and just uh, get after it. And that's kind of the hockey that is really developed there in the SUNYAC system. I, I got to ask you, because I asked Tyson Kirkby, you, br- you brought up uh, Tyson Kirkby. I asked him this when I interviewed him a couple weeks ago. Um, the difference between the SP and the FP, a lot of people will, out there will tell you that the SP is a higher level than the FP. I asked Tyson Kirkby about this, and he said it's a lot closer than most people will give it credit for. Do you agree on that? You've played in both the FPHL and the SPHL, and you were obviously part of the coaching staff, uh, I believe, in Columbus. Or no, actually, in, uh, I'm sorry, I apologize, yeah. in Roanoke. Um, and, no, Columbus. Oh, Columbus. I was, uh, I was part of the coaching staff in Columbus, and I played in Roanoke. But, yeah, um, it is it is close, and I think you can say that with, uh, with any league, like uh, AHL going to the NHL, East Coast going to the AHL. I really do think the top, uh, like top six forwards, top four uh, defensemen, and top goalie. I I think they can easily play in the SP, and that goes for SP players playing in the coast. If you're if you're on that first line or top deep pair, or you're the starting goaltender, yeah, you you can definitely go up there. It's just a matter of where you're at in life, how old you are, if you want to bounce around, if you if you want to play that 10 forward role and kind of earn it again, or you're, you're kind of past that and you want, you want those minutes, you want that ice time, you want, um, you want those, those points and power play time as well. So um, I, I do think there's, it's interchangeable. I will tell you when I first started off in the federal hockey league, I told myself I would never come back. It, there was a big difference. And, um, and that just goes with the venues, the ownership, all that stuff. Um, living situation. My my first year in the Fed, we uh, we had four four uh, players to one bedroom. Oh wow! It's a lot different now. So um, yeah, I I really think the FPHL has uh, progressed a ton, and um, I'm very happy with uh, how this league's uh, transformed. It's uh, it's been a been a pleasure to see, and I. I really do think it's getting better each year. Well, that's great to hear. And, uh, you know, obviously some players went up. I know Jesse Anderson played, obviously, in the ESP. Um, I, I know that even Jake Schultz went up to the ECHL for uh, a couple, uh, you know, a couple stints and everything. So how important is it for the FPHL to have good relationships with the ECHL and the SBHL going forward? How important do you think that is for the growth of the league? I think it's huge. So, like, at the beginning of next year, when training camps roll around, 
when players get released or cut, they're going to be like, hey, I, I know you're going to get taken care of in Binghamton. I know uh, that's, that's a coach, that's an organization that's looking out for the players, trying to move them out, trying to keep their best interests in mind. So I've uh, I got a close relationship with uh, Corey Melkert in Fayetteville, Glenn Dutello in, uh, in, in Huntsville, Dan Bremner in Roanoke, Jeff Best in Evansville. And a lot of the times, they, when I've talked to them over the year, they, they say they'll, they'll call some Federal League hockey teams, and about half of them won't answer, or they'll just be like, nope, don't want to don't give them a call up and kind of hide it from the player. And me just getting out of the game, I would, like, I would always want to know if I'm getting called. And I feel like it's our duty to, uh, to relay that message. And right give these players their dream of uh, moving up. And if they don't want to move up, they should still know that they're getting calls. And maybe that's a boost of confidence. Maybe maybe even a, a little bit of a pay raise, whatever it might be, to keep them here. But um, you do need to have that conversation with the player. Um, and I know there there's some places, not most places, but the, the good places in this league, they are relaying that message. And they, they do keep the player's best interest in mind. Coach, let's talk a little bit about uh, the phone call that you got. Uh, obviously, I'm not sure if it came from Gary himself, uh, Coach Gill, or if it came from Andreas, but you obviously got a phone call. Can you talk a little bit about that phone call to come to Binghamton to be the coach? Yeah, so uh, Gary reached out to me, um, Jake Schultz as well, uh, Jesse Anderson, I played with him uh, the year before, so... I think there was a couple coaches in the running for it, and um, eventually I talked to Andreas, and I, I gave him my overall philosophy of the game, and um, also I, I gave him a game plan against Danbury as well uh, <laughs> really? for, for the regular season, and because um, they were they were struggling with Danbury, I don't think they won too much against them at the beginning of the year, and then during the regular season uh, we won that first home that first road game they've ever won in Danbury. Um, I believe it was in late January, early February. Yep. And then we kind of took it to them at home. We did lose with, uh, I believe it was nine seconds left in the game. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I got the boot from that game. But, um, yeah, it was, uh, we, we shared similar uh, philosophies of, how we how we like a team ran and uh, the cohesiveness and holding guys accountable. So um, yeah, we we kind of hit it off right away, and then uh, it was uh, it was I hit the ground running <laughs> to say the least uh, when I first came in. It was a very quick turnaround. I think I, I got the call on a Friday. The game got canceled because of snowstorm. Yep. And then I was up there by Tuesday having a having a team meeting and. Uh, setting the tone for the rest of the year. Well, let me ask you this question. Obviously, uh, you know, all across Facebook, people were questioning moves in here and there and all that stuff and everything. But let me ask you this question. Um, how much is Andreas involved in the player acquisition versus the coaches are? Or, you know, or even just in the FPHL in general, are the, are the owners going out there looking for these? Because, I mean, some owners are just not hockey-minded, so to speak. And I'm not saying that Andreas is not and everything. But I'm just kind of curious on the, 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 who's, who's given the most input when it comes to acquiring a player or maybe even letting a player go for that matter. Honestly, it's a combination. So 
when I do make a decision, I do I have to run it by Andreas. But Andreas has brought um, some great great players uh, across my way. He brought Jeremy Forgier. So Andreas is very involved. Tom Reynolds is a huge help. And then uh, the players in the room, like saying, "Hey, I got a buddy here. Would you be interested in?" And they'll just throw throw some players across my desk, give some j- suggestions. I might take them. I might not. But um, Andreas is thoroughly involved, and he, he's not a micromanager by any means. But he he wants he wants to have a he wants to have his input in there. But ultimately, he lets me make my own decisions, which I I truly appreciate. And you don't feel like you're uh, you're being hovered over, or like, hey, if I if I don't make the right decision, or am I gonna am I gonna still be here? So um, he gives he gives you that freedom, but he also he he gives uh, he gives his knowledge of the game, his opinion, and um, I, I love that about him. He he wants to be uh, a part of that part of that room and part of that team, and he really wants to take care of the players. More importantly, mm-hmm. I've uh, I've never seen an owner in this league take care of the players like he does. The I don't want to say spoiled because they don't make too much money, right? But compared to the other teams around the league, Andreas takes care of these guys so well, even allowing them to sell their own jerseys. Like there, there was a couple teams in the SP that I didn't get my jersey at the end of the year, and you you put in all that hard work, and they take that jersey back and they put it on auction. Andreas is awesome, and he's always looking out for the players, whether it's uh, whether it's housing or. Um, even a deal around town. Same thing with Tom. Tom knows a bunch of guys around town that can take care of the guys' cars, um, get get a cheap meal, all that stuff. So uh, I'm I'm really happy with his involvement, and um, I, I really couldn't ask for a better owner. Which which is which is very interesting because I, I think a lot of the fans just don't know that. So I'm glad that you were able to explain that. Let me ask you the hardest question that I'm going to ask you the whole the whole interview. And that's about Nikita Ivashkin. Obviously, you can't talk about the situation. That is the reason why he's not on, uh, you know, playing in the league or playing on the team and everything. But let's talk a little bit about Nikita because Nikita, I mean, in two years, less than two years, has 93 goals. I think it is something to that, something to that effect. Top 10 in Binghamton hockey history, which has been going on for 50 years, and did that in such a short time. The kid has skill that I thought by then would have probably put him into the SPHL already or even the East Coast League, at least a sniff of that. Can you talk a little bit about his skill level? Because I, I think here in the FPHL, we don't have a lot of players like what Nikita was when he was here. Nikita is such a talented hockey player. He, um, he drives the net like no other. He takes a beating going to that net. He protects the puck so well. He's got a great shot. Sticks up for his teammates. He gets involved in the dirty stuff. And um, the way he he kind of gallops up the ice like a like a horse almost. He's yeah. uh, a very powerful skater. Very strong player. He's very hard to knock off the puck. And um, his offensive capabilities is it's. Super impressive, and he is a guy that definitely could play at the East Coast level, the SPHL level. But, um, yeah, unfortunately, 
we we made a team decision, an organizational decision to uh, to move on without him this year and give him the proper help and treatment. Right. And that's that's what we had to do as a team. As much as it uh, it hurt us uh, from the end of February throughout March, we battled through it. The the boys faced a ton of adversity during that time. We went on that southern trip with. Ooh. I believe it was like 16, 17 players, and a couple guys had to stay home due to injury. Mm-hmm. Um, JT Walters was having a, a child on the way, and then um, with roster base and how the league works, they don't have uh, they didn't have injured reserved uh, positions where you could put a guy on the on the IR and then pick up another guy. So that that really hurt us and. Those things matter so much because we saw how important it is uh, for home ice advantage yeah. during playoffs. It, it basically means everything in this league, um, especially after the the first round. The home team won every single game, so um, those points are so crucial. So it was very detrimental uh, losing Nikita, and I still stay in touch with him, and he's doing a lot better, and... Um, we we really wish him nothing but the best, and um, it it might have halted his career, but um, I I really don't think it's over. I'm a I'm a firm believer in second chances wherever he might be. So potentially in the future, you can foresee Nikita Ivashkin playing hockey again, not necessarily in Binghamton. We're not saying that, but just playing hockey again professionally. Yes, possibly. Yeah, for sure. Um, I. That, that's something he he needs to decide, and sure. um, wherever wherever he ends up, um, I I really wish him nothing but the best. I I do think there's some cultural differences, but um, deep down, I I do believe he's a he's a good kid, and um, yeah, I he was one of my favorite players when I first came in, and yeah, it it really hurt. It was a it was a punch to the gut uh, for the squad, and. Um, Ultimately, we just needed to uh, we need to make the right decision for the guys in that room and for the organization as well, and for him too. He needed to get some help, and uh, we got him the help, and he just needs to continue on that path. And uh, I'm sure he'll have some uh, success on the road. Okay, so before we get to the end of the season and going into the playoffs, there was a a point, and you actually just mentioned it a little bit about there was a a time period where the where the team was really kind of struggling, and even on the ice they were, you know, getting in trouble with the referees. There was a lot of game misconducts being, you know, thrown around. Uh, I think the referees really loved those abusive officials, um, which we all, we, which all, which we, which we all know, just basically means an effort, uh, f uh, f bomb was dropped and everything, and whatnot. But how did you reel in the guys from that? Because I was, you know, talking on the show and talking to people and saying, you know, they've really got to reel this back in a little bit. You know, they got they got to reel in Coachman in a little bit, you know, and everything. Because he's, he's a fiery guy. He's a passionate guy and everything. And there was the one game where he was trying to climb over things and, and whatnot. How did you reel the guys in from that? Because I think that was teetering over the edge and almost kind of probably hurting a season. But you guys did reel it back in. How did you do that? I would say just through uh, video and practice, as uh, funny as it might sound, but I would show clips of bad mental toughness. And 
whether whether it was, there's plenty of guys uh, that that struggle with that. I struggled with that throughout my career, but um, I, we do video on Tuesday, sometimes Wednesday as well, looking at the other opponent. But we would address a lot of our uh, bad decisions on the weekends. A little bit more negative than positive, but you always end with a couple positive clips. Sure. But I would I would show uh, Matt too going back and forth with the referee, and we'd we'd have a the guys would have a chuckle about it, but <laughs> we would be honest with each other and say, hey, like, what if you do this in playoffs and we go we go down, we lose you for the rest of the game, and then we we're on the PK for however many minutes, whatever whatever you said to the the spineless ref because I know they're giving it back to the players as well, but you got to be the bigger man in that situation. So, um, yeah, I would show it in video. Um, honestly, Coachman, he, he harnesses it very well. There were some times, you know, I'd have that look with him and he, you'd go out and, uh, take care of business. But, um, he, uh, he was very good at handling it. Another guy. And I, I love these type of players. They're super passionate. He, they got that care factor, and they're willing to do whatever it takes for the team. So mm-hmm. sometimes their emotions get the best of them, but ultimately, I believe that's a playoff guy. It's like a, it's like a Matthew Kachuk. That right. You you really have to find a way of riding that line. Of are you, like you can't cross it over. You can only do it so much, and there's a play with it. And I started learning that towards the end of my career. And a lot of it's like getting to know the referees a little bit, getting to know them by first name, uh, kind of introducing, introducing yourself or being a little bit more sarcastic instead of the vulgar language. Right. Like, hey, come on, is that, is that really happening? And kind of your demeanor and uh, your attitude towards the referees is, uh, I think, what ultimately turned it around, but... To be honest, I, I really think it was the college kids coming in. They mm. they really changed the culture of the team. Uh, Justin Samaro, Connor Smith, Brennan Stanko, Andrew Logar. When those guys came in, it, it created an internal competitiveness within the group that, hey, like, we're, we're here to win, and I'm going to put the best players on the ice regardless of how many years you played in the league, how many points you have. I... I just want to put out the best players that I think are going to give us the best chance to win and not necessarily cheat points or cheat offense. Sure. They're, they're going to be play a team game, and that's what a lot of these college players learn. So I, I think it's a combination of video and talking about this in the room and talking about our emotions and keeping them in check, but also when those college kids came in, our our, our team really changed a lot, and we, we became a pretty – scary bunch that's for sure so there was a um there was a following for taylor joseph uh a lot of people on facebook loved the way he tapped into his spirituality on the ice uh, kneeling and praying things of that nature how huge was taylor joseph at the end of this season because i gotta be honest with you in the playoffs he was the best goalie in the playoffs without a doubt i even through the finals without a doubt in my opinion taylor joseph played the best fundamental goalie hockey that I that, that I saw throughout the playoffs in the league. Brian Wilson, great goalie, but I just think that um, Taylor Joseph really played very well. What did it mean to get him in to um, onto this team? 
Taylor Joseph is an amazing human being. I will be friends with him for the rest of my life. I'm so happy he came to the Binghamton Black Bears organization. And, yes, we were very lucky to have him. But talking about Taylor, I do have to mention Riley and Jeremy. Sure. And that entire trio of goalies, of they were truly pros. They showed up every day ready to work, ready to compete against each other but also supporting each other at the same time. And that, for that group to do that and kind of put their um, selfish like th- thoughts to the side of, like, hey, maybe I'm better than him, or they, they, wanted, they wanted the team to win. They wanted the team to have success. So just that whole trio, they, those are the guys that were staying there till 4 or 5 p.m. every day working on their craft, whether it's whether they're doing uh, stretching or hip mobility, working out, uh, doing maybe an extra lesson in the afternoon, watching video, doing uh, VR, like putting on a VR headset yeah. and still working on their uh, tracking pucks and all that. So that that whole trio is, uh, they're, they're true professionals, and I couldn't ask for better goaltenders, but as far as, Joe taking over the role. Uh, he, he did it on the Southern trip with that uh, that overtime win against Columbus. That's when I knew I was like, all right, I gotta establish this number one, and we we gotta roll with him. And uh, he did not hesitate. He he didn't blink, and he did a great job for us down the stretch. And um, I I really can't thank him enough as far as his leadership. And then even up in that last game, uh, that Monday against Danbury, mm-hmm. he stood on his head. He took, he did. took a break, a couple breakaways, a couple two on ones, and yeah, like we we lost two to one. But he he can look himself in the mirror at the end of the day and know he put a full effort in. And um, yeah, he's uh, he he uh, made a stamp on Binghamton hockey, and um, I, I I learned a ton from him about calmness and. Uh, preparation so uh yeah i can't i can't thank taylor enough you know and that's one of the things that goaltenders need is that calmness that being able to control the emotions because bad things are going to happen in front of you and and it's just it's just just natural and you have to be able to block those bad things out that happen in front of you because when you got a guy coming in at you one-on-one i think the advantage is almost always to the skater but for some reason Goalies, special goalies, goalies who can block that noise out can make those big saves, and he really just seemed to do that a lot. Yes, he's he's unbothered. Um, he was one of the guys that I was very impressed with in the Danbury environment for the Saturday game. He's getting screamed at from the stands. I don't even think he looked up once. And there's some other guys on the bench that are like kind of peeking behind. <laughs> exchanging words with some fans and it's just like that's that's not us and that was that was the focus for monday is we're not going to be distracted right and it, it gave us a chance um we came up short but uh yeah kudos to taylor like he he doesn't get phased by uh anything so game game one against danbury um obviously the team played very well dominated i think they played the one of the best games i've seen them play all year long uh-huh. And, uh, you know, Danbury obviously had a – I'd say probably like maybe three minutes of that game Danbury controlled. Otherwise, the rest of the game was controlled by the Binghamton Black Bears. 
Um, was that one of the best games you had seen by the Black Bears that season, that first game against Danbury? Well, leading up to it, I, I kept telling the boys, like, yeah, yeah, we're winning. But I was a little unsatisfied, even because we were, we were playing some of the weaker teams, like Elmira, Watertown. Sure. A um, couple of those other teams that weren't really up to par that were going to give us a real test in, uh, in playoffs. But I, I said to the boys after the game, that was a, that was a full 60, I thought. And we yeah. could call it 57, 58, but it was, it was very close to uh, one of our most perfect games of the year. There, there's a couple uh, games during the regular season that uh, – we put together a strong 50 minutes, but you, you know, in hockey, you have those lapses and you you get pressured and you get hemmed in your uh, D zone. So it does happen. It's very hard to put a full 60 minute effort together. Right. But um, yeah, that was uh, that was uh, that was a whoop in that Friday night. Unfortunately, sometimes you don't know if Danbury baited you a little bit because <laughs> the. The way we came out Saturday night wasn't wasn't even close. We were we were deer in headlights. We were distracted, and uh, we definitely weren't ready for that game. Even though it was pretty close, they we definitely got outplayed. You that's know, for sure. You and I talked a little bit off air about game two and everything, and there was distractions. Of course, there was the air horns and uh, you know beer being thrown and things of that nature. And some of your players might have been turning around and jarring a little bit. But on the other side of that, did Dan Berry change up their game? I thought they played almost like zone-type traps and kind of stopped you guys a little bit from completing passes, and they plugged up lanes. Would you also credit Dan Berry for making some changes from Game 1 to Game 2 as well? 100%. Um, Billy did a great job with that group, and I think it was just more so their – they were willing to sacrifice the body, I think, a little bit more than our guys. Mm. And not, I'm not taking away from our guys. There, there's a ton of guys that I can look at and, like, yeah, they, they're blocking shots. They're, they're laying the body. They're, they're taking away time and space. But um, Danbury, they must have had the most blocked shots in playoffs. They were in every shooting lane. They didn't, get let, they didn't let pucks get through. They were blocking shots with their hands kicking out their feet, not doing the standstill, like, look, I'm kind of doing my job, but are you really? Do yeah. you really want to block it? And you could just tell they really wanted to block the shots. And with an offensive team like us, and, yeah, we're in their ozone a bunch, but shots are going wide. Shots are uh, getting blocked and heading the other way. It's uh, Yeah, they're – their philosophy of packing it in and just eating pucks, uh, it hurt us. And we're usually used to seeing those pucks go through. And they, they did a great job, and kudos to them for uh, for their mental toughness of uh, standing in front of pucks. And, um, yeah, that's a, that's a note that I'm definitely taking from those guys is uh, – that, that team buy-in of uh, blocking shots, I, I don't know how many we had that night, but, um, yeah, they, they crushed us in that department for the basically the entire series. We're sitting here talking with uh, Coach Sherwood from the Binghamton Black Bears, and, and Coach, in that game, a couple, uh, couple players got injured. Um, you know, there was uh, the suspension of Connor Smith, which, uh, again, is still a little confusing when uh, Tobias Ojdik <laughs> yeah. did not get suspended. Um, for his hit on JT Walters. 
can you um, please update the fans? Um, because I, I don't want to get you in trouble and have you talk about Aj Dick not getting suspended. I'll, I'll basically say he should have been suspended for something. It was a horrible hit, and you know, a player being injured the way he was shouldn't have been hit. But can you give us an update on JT Walters and how he's doing? Because um, I, I also know that Connor Smith is also injured as well, was injured as well, and everything. But how is JT Walters uh, doing these days? JT's doing better. Um, I talked to him a little bit after the season. Um, my assistant coach Tom reached out to him uh, yesterday, and he, he's doing better. But it's still it's still a bit of a recovery. Um, when you get your face basically smashed into the ice the way he did, it's uh, it's a lot. It's those those nerves in your face and around your eye. Those those will bother you for. Close to close to a year almost, and yeah. um, my my main concern was um, was his head and overall health. I uh, he just he just had a daughter, and it, I get emotional talking about this because it's um, you you never want to see anything bad happen like that. But he is recovering uh, much better, and um, he's he's slowly progressing. And we uh, losing a guy that's like the heart and soul of your team, and kind of keeps the group together and always has something positive to say, always willing to block a shot. Like, yeah, I, I do think we got hosed a little bit with um, with no uh, punishment on that end. I'm, I'm not scared to say it. I, I think a lot of us know um, it was a bit unfair. And, um, yeah, it's uh, he's doing a lot better, though, and uh, – we're we're very lucky to have a guy like JT this year that kept the group together and always spoke up at the right time and just brought everyone in. So um, yeah, he, he's doing better. Connor Smith's doing a lot better. Um, and then Austin Thompson, yeah, uh, he had a broken finger as well. So losing uh, losing three starters like that is uh, it it hurts the team especially guys like those guys that really lay it out on the line for the team and um, are willing to do what it takes. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it hurt us big time, and the injuries definitely played a role, but I still thought we were the better team, and I still thought we should have got it done, and I still have a sour taste in my mouth about it. Yeah. Coach, I still have uh, just a couple questions for you. This question is very simple. I'm just going to say one name, and I'm going to let you talk. It's that simple. Tyler Jurich. Goal scorer, hot stick, best one timer in the league. Um, yeah, that's that's what the kid's got. He uh, he's been around a while in this league, and um, yeah, he he's a goal scorer, and he uh, he can bury the puck. That's for sure. Um, yeah, very very lucky to have a guy like that that can score at at will, like the way he does. And um, yeah, good player. Excellent, and uh, let's t- little talk about your future. Um, I, I, I and I asked you beforehand to make sure that it was okay to ask you. Uh, do you expect to be back with the Binghamton Black Bears next season? Yes, I do expect to be back, and um, I expect to bring the team further in playoffs. And don't want to say championship, but I want to focus on one day at a time and be a part of the process and take it one practice 
one game, one shift, whatever you want to call it, just be in the moment and not look too far ahead. But, yeah, I will be back, and we're looking for some success going into next year. Um, what? How'd you turn into a Philly guy? Because you're a Rochester, Western New York kind of guy. <laughs> you're living down in Philly now. How'd that happen? Uh, tell us that story. I got, I got dragged down here by my girlfriend. So uh, <laughs> my girlfriend, she uh, she works in the city. She's a, she's a so associate with uh, Post and Shell in her uh, in her first year with the firm. So um, yeah, this is this where I'm bunked up for the summer and. We have a dog, Tucker, but she's from uh, she's from the Westchester area, and we met when she was at law school at Washington and Lee when I was playing in Roanoke. Invited her out to a game. I think I did pretty decent to impress her enough to bring her out to dinner, and uh, the rest the rest is history. So oh, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I'm getting I'm getting used to these Philly uh, these Philly punks down here with their uh, their sports teams and their trash talk and whatnot, but. Honestly, I, I really like the town, and it's a uh, it's a great sports town. So I I have my team. So I'm a big Buffalo guy, but yep. um, it's hard not to root for these guys. As crazy as they are, you kind of <laughs> you go to a game and you hear them heckling the pitcher or, or yelling at the the opposing goalie, or yeah, all all the crazy crap they do it's uh yeah it's a it's a wild town and it was a good year to come in because the phillies did pretty well and then the eagles did well as too so um i'm uh i don't i don't mind it one bit also i like i don't mind the cheesesteaks oh either me too so. love it are, are you a geno's or a pat's guy i i haven't been i haven't been to either or i uh, i like tony luke's no my girlfriend likes del sandro's and uh been to Cleavers, and uh, we have a pretty good one um, in our building as well. But um, I do. I hear Pat's and Geno's is just like the the tourist spot, mm-hmm. and they're not that good. But um, I'm gonna I'm gonna test it out here this summer. You have. To- I got a little bit more time. Yeah, you have to go and check it out for sure. Okay, before I let you go, Panthers, Hurricanes, Stars, Golden Knights. These are not your typical teams, although the you know the Hurricanes have definitely won the the Stanley Cup and everything. These are not your typical teams in the conference finals for the NHL. Who do you got between Panthers and Hurricanes and Stars and Golden Knights? It's so tough. I think the teams match up very well. Um, I'm I'm a big fan of players. Once it gets down to uh, once the the Sabers have been out for sure. a couple decades. Um, you got, you start, I started migrating towards players and guys I like. So I'll, I'll go with uh, the Florida Panthers. I really like uh, Matthew Kachuk. I mm-hmm. think he is the total gamer. Like he, he's the ultimate playoff guy. And I would take him over some of the highest paid guys in the league, right. like easily, just because of what he brings uh, during the playoffs. He's uh He's willing to sacrifice everything to win a game, and uh, that's that, that's what I love about him. So, and then on the other side, I'll go with Dallas. I really it's weird because I, I really like Rope Hints, and he's been crushing in playoffs. But his energy he brings, the way he skates, it's like so exciting to watch. And um, I'm gonna have to go with the Dallas Stars winning it, and that goes against everything in me because they took out Buffalo in '99. So yep, it's still, yep, yep. 
still hurts a little bit, uh, but um, I, I think they're I think they're made for it. Vegas is going to be tough though, but if they get through Vegas. I think they they have a pretty good shot at winning it all. Okay, one last thing. How about you? Oh, uh, I think Panthers and Golden Knights, and I think the Golden Knights are going to win the Stanley Cup this year. Good choice, good choice. Um, <laughs> let me just say this. We have the best fans in Binghamton, uh, in the Federal Prospect Hockey League in Binghamton, New York. We have one of the strongest fan bases in all of minor league hockey. Um, the, the the team here, the, the, the fans here out-attended some SPHL teams, some ECHL teams, and again, still, as always, some AHL teams and everything. What is your message to one of the best fan bases about a potential season next year? You guys are the best, and I guess we got to follow it up next year. And I know from home ice advantage in the regular season and in playoffs, it makes the biggest difference playing in our building. The boys love it. Um, the boys love uh, meeting the fans after the game down by uh, the tunnel, the video production, and the fan interaction during the games, and how loud it is and how passionate they are. It's, uh, it's one of the craziest environments um, I've ever been a part of as far as the fan base. There's a couple moments. I did look around, like, in, in playoffs, that game against Danbury. I, I took a moment towards the end to, to soak it in and um, see, see what's kind of been created. And the fact that we're, we're in single A and we're uh, racking up that type of attendance, is, it's, it's awesome. And it just goes to show you how, how well our uh, front office is ran and how good our owner is. It's um I got to tip the cap to them, but also uh, the fans just showing up regardless, like of a loss the previous game. They're they're coming, and um, it's it's the best show in town. We we have something r- truly special in Binghamton, and I can't thank the fans enough. Um, it's uh, it's it's been a pleasure to be a part of it. Cool. Awesome. Coach, thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you for taking so much time. At least it's the off season and I didn't do this during the middle of the uh, season with you and everything. Uh, but I appreciate you coming on, talking to us. I hope to talk to you again uh, next season and everything. Um, and we'll get more. Maybe we'll get a face-to-face type of interview uh, next season um, and whatnot. And, uh, you know, enjoy the summer. Um, and, uh, you know, don't enjoy it too much where you're not looking for players. Always be looking for players. We need, you know, bring... that's, that's what it's all about. Recruiting, recruiting college players, stealing players from the SP, and then uh, making the necessary moves in order to uh, bring them to tennis championships. So, Bob, I just want to thank you. I loved your questions, and uh, I appreciate this conversation, and there's many more to come. Perfect. Awesome. He is Brant Sherwood, head coach of the, I'm going to say head coach. I, I don't care. It's not in term anymore. It's head coach of the Binghamton Black Bears. And uh, this has been the Power Play Post Show. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you again very soon. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Power Play Post Show. Be sure to tune in next week from the Box Studios Radio Network to keep up to date with the latest news, scores, and interviews by visiting www.pppshow.net. You've been listening to the Power Play Post Show.